Jump up on your feet and grab your Bibles. How many brought your Bible today? Just hold it up in the air. If you got a real Bible, let's see. If you got a real Bible, we're going to do a survey again. Who's got a real Bible? A real Bible. One that's got some pages on it. Hold it up. Hold it. Miguel, that's cheating. That's not real. That's an that's a app. <laughs> got a real. Okay, now whoever's got an app or a smartphone, hold that up. Let's see. App, smartphone. Oh, man, it's about neck and neck. We need the real Bible folks to rise up now. Come on, we got to take authority over this. So irregardless, I'm just messing with you. Irregardless, you got to make sure you have a Bible. It's, it's futile to come to church without the Word. I mean, we don't come here to preach uh, motivational speeches. We come here to preach from the Word of God. And you need to be so attached to your Bible that every time you come, you've got some device or some book in your hand. Amen? All right. Let's go this morning to the book of Esther. To the book of Esther. If you don't know where that is, the best thing to do is go to the middle of your Bible if you got a real Bible and go to the book of Psalms and then just back up and you work through the book of Job and then you'll go to the left, hit Job, and then you hit Esther. Man, I feel like preaching today. I do. I feel like it. I feel like it. I feel like it. I almost put on Facebook last night, today's going to be a barn burner, but I, didn't, I don't know how people take all that. <clears throat> Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Esther, Esther chapter 4, I'm just going to skip around a little bit, and then I'll give you the narrative of what's going on once we get started here. Esther chapter 4, verse number 1. And when Mordecai learned all that had been done... He tore his clothes and put on sackcloth and ashes. And he went out into the midst of the city and he wailed loudly and bitterly. He went as far as the king's gate, for no one was to enter the king's gate clothed in sackcloth. And each and every province where the command and the decree of the king came, there was great mourning among the Jews with fasting, weeping, and wailing, and many lay on sackcloth and ashes, which is nothing more than a picture of mourning, real strong mourning where people are just weeping bitterly. And verse number four, then Esther's maidens and her eunuchs came to her and told her, and the queen wreathed in great anguish, and she sent garments to clothe Mordecai. Now notice that he'd put on sackcloth and ashes because he's mourning about this announcement that's about to happen to the Jewish people. He's mourning in sackcloth and ashes. When Esther hears about it, she's the queen now, she hears about it, and she sends a fresh set of clothes to Mordecai from her to him, and he did not accept them. He did not want the fresh clothes. Look, look with me now in verse number 11. And all the king's servants and the people of the king's province now that know that for any man or woman who comes to the king, to the inner court, who is not summoned, he has but one law, and that he be put to death unless the king holds out to him the golden scepter so that he may live. And I have not been summoned. This is Esther talking. She says, I have not been summoned to come to the king for these 30 days. 
And they related Esther's words to Mordecai. Then Mordecai told them to reply to Esther, Do not imagine that in the king's palace can escape any more than all the Jews. Verse number 14. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews and from another place, and you and your father's house will perish. And who knows whether you have not attained royalty. One translation says, and who knows, maybe you have come into the kingdom for such a time as this. Who knows? Maybe you were born into the kingdom for such a time as this. Now I want to back up all the way to chapter 2, and I just want to read one little verse, and then I want to clear it all up for you. Chapter 2, verse number 12. This is when Esther was trying to win the king's favor. He was try- she was trying out to be the next queen to be married to the king. And now then turn each of your young ladies coming to the king of Ashereth at the end of the 12 months under the regulations for the women for the days of their beautification were completed as follows. Six months with oil and myrrh and six months with spices and cosmetics for the women. And the young lady would go in to the king in this way and anything that she desired was given to her to take with her from the harem to the king's palace. Notice that she spent about 12 months in preparation, 12 months in a beautification process, if you will, to get before the king. And then we just read in chapter 4, if you remain silent now, deliverance will rise from somebody else. We started last week, Pastor Vanessa preached a little bit about uh, this, this past week, our theme is Modern Day Heroes. But I've got a subtitle for today, and I've titled it, This is not a beauty contest. This is not a beauty contest. Push on about three people around you and tell them, this ain't a beauty contest now. Come on, just tell them, this ain't a beauty contest. This is not a beauty contest. Some of y'all are just looking at me like, what in the world? This is not a beauty contest. Let me pray for you. Father, this morning, I thank you for the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. Thank you today. Lord, for what you're going to do in this place, thank you for the men and women that are here. Thank you for those that are tuned in live on Facebook, those that are listening by the way of radio. Lord, I just pray today for an impartation. I pray today for the revelation of truth to touch our hearts, and we give you all the praise and the glory for it. In Jesus' name I pray. And everybody together said amen. Amen Amen and amen. You can be seated in the name of the Lord. This story of Esther here, It comes to us, really, what I believe, as a prophetic picture of what the modern-day church is to look like. Esther, in this story, and we'll, we'll capture it here in just a moment, but Esther, in this story, is a picture of that church. I believe it's a, it's a visual picture or a prophetic reminder of what the modern-day church will look like in the end of the age at the return or the second return of Jesus Christ. And what I want you to see in this particular passage of scriptures that we read, that what is going on in this story as we begin in chapter 2 there, Esther here 
before she was the queen, she was trying out to be the queen, and she was in a beauty contest. She was all dressed up. She spent 12 months in beautiful beautification ceremonies. She spent 12 months adorning herself, taking beauty baths, taking it easy, just trying to win the king's heart. And then when you get over into chapter 3, you find out where now the king's right-hand man, who is Haman, he he begins to devise a plan. He begins to devise a plot to kill and to exterminate all the Jews. In fact, the Bible says, Haman said to the king that the Jews are different. Their laws are different. And they don't follow the laws that we follow. They're different, and their laws are different. And I think we should create this this plan, this scheme, this plot to kill all the Jews, the covenant people of God. We need to annihilate, get rid of all of God's people in the land. And then you fast forward over to chapter 4 where we just read when Mordecai, who was Esther's cousin, when he begins to learn of this plot, he sends word back to Esther now who has now became the queen. She is now the queen. To the king. And here she is in the White House. (laughs) She's at the top of her game. Here she is in the king's palace, and Mordecai sends word back to Esther about this plot where they want to kill all the Jews. And nobody knows what's going on because Esther is a Jew, Mordecai is a Jew, and there are many Jews. In Persia at that time, the king was the king over Persia. Esther was the queen now over Persia, but nobody knew that she was a Jew. And the way I want to put this to us today, and I want to get to where I'm going, so just hang out with me for a moment. Upon hearing the news, Esther shows no desire to get involved. She shows no desire to get involved in the controversy of what's going on in the land. She just wants to take it easy. She just wants to be the queen. She don't want to create no disruption. She doesn't want to use her voice. She's silent. Bad things are about to happen in her nation. They're about to come into some difficult days, and she's just reminiscing about a beauty contest. It sounds to me like the modern-day church. Dangerous things are going on all around us, and the church is somewhat just taking it easy. We're content just to be in a beauty contest. There are so many things that are at stake in this generation that has never been at stake in any other generation, and the church is just sitting back and just like, well, que sera, que sera, whatever will be, whatever will be. And we're just sort of like taking it back. Now, I came here to preach today because I feel something in the atmosphere that we need to press into. And I felt, I've been, I've been stirred. The Lord spoke to me Monday or Tuesday of this week, and I was reading this portion of Scripture, and, he, and that, that word beautification jumped out at me, and I, and I felt like the Lord was saying to me over this house, and it's really a word just not to this house because many are listening from other places, the church has to come out of the beautification project. 
And the church needs to begin to realize that this is not a beauty contest. And, and, and we, ha- we, 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 we have been so used to our comfortable places of worship. We have great lighting and, and, and good coffee and good music and uh, everybody's friendly and friendly environments and we're just relaxing and we're just enjoying the aroma and, and just enjoying, our, if we would, our, our little oily baths, our, our, our essential oil baths that we're just taking and we're just enjoying the moment of what's going on and never realizing that there is a plan. There's a scheme and there's a plot of the enemy to annihilate the very existence of the church in America. And if we're not careful, we'll just keep sit back and we'll just be like Esther was in the beginning days. I don't really want to get involved. It's like if we're not careful, people just come in, people go out. The week is unaffected because our worship was unaffected. People come in and go out. Our culture stays unaffected because we didn't affect nothing while we were here. People stay on the same level spiritually that they've been on for the last 10 years because it's just a beauty contest. Everybody just look at what we have. Look what we've done. Look where we are. Look what I have accomplished. And if you're not careful, we just end up celebrating the beauty of what we have, never realizing God did not bring us to the kingdom for such a time as this to put a badge on our chest and say, look what we have done. But maybe God has brought us into the kingdom to begin to push back on the powers of darkness and say, you can't dwell in this territory as long as I've got a praise in my body. Trying to find some amens over here now. Y'all going to have to jump in here at any time. It sounds to me like it's the modern day church, just kind of lukewarm, lukewarm, and it's kind of like there's no concern, there's no real passionate desire to press into the things of God. There's no real strong pursuit to move towards the things of God. I I felt it a little bit today, and and I just look around a little bit and worship, just trying to find the the, the thermometer and just to to feel the temperature of what's in the house. And I look around and people are totally unengaged in the worship. They're totally unengaged in what God is trying to move in people's lives. I'm just trying to tell you, it's not a beauty contest. The enemy's coming for your life. The enemy's coming for your children. The enemy's coming for your family. He's coming for everything that you hold dear to your life. And we cannot just be in a beauty contest where we just treat church like it's an add-on, like treat church like it's a casual thing. Well, I come when I don't have nothing else to do. But I, did, I just come here to tell you, I'm just, I'm, just, I'm just trying to stir up a devil or two. Is that all right? I, I'm not mad at nobody. I'm just trying to stir a devil up to let the devil know. We, we've got, we got stake in the ground here. We got, we got property at stake here. We, we got destinies at stake. We got a call and a mission that's at stake. We can't afford to be just kind of lukewarm in our, in our walk with God. I, I have learned this over the years that, that, that people don't worship in church because they don't worship on Monday. People don't worship in church on Sunday because they don't worship on Tuesday. And by the time they get to church on Sunday, we expect people to come into a worship service. I want to tell you something. Your worship ain't nothing on Sunday if you ain't worshiping on Monday. If you're not worshiping on Tuesday or Wednesday or Thursday, worship is not a song service. Worship is the direction of your heart pointed in the life of God and saying, God, I can't do this without you. And I found out over the years that when people come in here and they have no worship, they have no praise, it's not because they don't have it on Sunday, it's because they don't have it the rest of the days of the week. 
And that's why when we come in here, mature believers ought to gather together and say, you know what, I know this one may be struggling over here. This one may be struggling over there. I didn't come here to wait on their praise. I came to bring a praise for them. I came to lift my voice for them. I came to create an environment and an atmosphere whereby the presence and the tangible move of God can move upon their life. See, I've learned something being lukewarm. Being lukewarm in a relationship with Jesus. It's not a season. It's a devil. Just in a lukewarm, casual relationship with Jesus, it's not a season that you're going through. It's a devil. It's a devil that's coming to rob you of your passion. It's coming to rob you of your pursuit. And I believe today that we are living in a moment. I'm about to preach where I want to go here in a minute. Y'all doing all right? I believe we're living in a day where there is a demand that's being made in this hour. The kingdom of heaven is demanding us, saying that the beauty contest is over. And something needs to change. Something needs to rise. Something needs to be done. Sooner or later, the people of God have to recognize that I am in real warfare with an enemy that is coming to kill, steal, and destroy. And I cannot just be a casual Christian in today's world. I cannot just begin to take my Christian walk casually and act like it don't mean nothing. And I just act like I love God on a Sunday, but I don't really worship him on the rest of the days of the week. And there has got to be this rise of the church in America that begins to push back on the powers of darkness and say, we are not here to compromise we are not here to just to go through the motions of whatever the world wants to offer but we are here to blaze a trail a burning fiery trail and the passion of God burns in our hearts has to be a people that begins to rise in our text today Mordecai after after he hears the plans of Haman to destroy the Jews and to annihilate them in fact, the Bible says they were going to do it in one day. The decree was made in 11 months from that, one, from that day. In one day, all the Jews in the providence were going to be killed. And Mordecai tears his clothes, and he puts on sackcloth and ashes, and he begins to cry out. He begins to cry out for his city. He begins to cry out for his people. He begins to cry out for his nation. And then he challenges Esther. He challenges his cousin who is now the queen. He says, it's time for you, Esther, to come out of your beauty contest. And you got to get yourself involved in what needs to take place in this nation. The decree was made. The decree had been established. The king had said yes to Haman. We're going to execute the Jews. And that was Persian law. Once a decree was made and the king put his signet ring on the law, on the decree, Persian law says it cannot be reversed. In other words, no matter what was done, what was said, the law was in effect. And the law was coming to exterminate, to annihilate all the Jews in the land. And and Mordecai has this burden for the land. He has this burden for his people. 
and he's mourning, he's weeping, he's crying out for his city. When was the last time you cried out for your city? He's burning inside of his heart because he's crying out for his children. He's crying out for his family. He's crying out for the members of his family and just saying, God, we got to have a move of God. When was the last time you really sat down in your prayer closet and just began to cry out to God and say, God, save our city. God, save our county. God, save our nation. When was the last time your heart burned for what was burning for God's heart? It's quiet in here today, but I'm going to keep on working. His message was, Esther, you got to come out of this beauty contest, and you have to engage yourself in this fight. You have to engage yourself in the fight that's going on right now because the enemy is not just coming after the Jews, Esther. The enemy is coming after your children and your children's children. The enemy is coming. Listen, what we see going on in the world, and I won't preach about that, about all the shaking that's going on. I think I got some revelatory insight. I'll get that maybe next week. But what's going on in our world with all this shaking, everything that's being disrupted, part of the shaking and part of the disruption, it's not so that we can just look around and see what's going on. It's so that the church would be awakened to what is going on because nations are being shaken and it is time for the church. It is the moment. It's the hour of the church. Maybe we have been born into the kingdom for such a time as this. Maybe this is our time. Come on, push on somebody and tell them maybe this is the moment that God has been waiting for your family. Maybe this is the moment that God has stepped out of eternity and put a burden in your heart and say, now is the time for family members to be saved. He said, Esther, if you don't get involved, your children and the generations coming behind you will be no more. He challenged her. It's like challenging the church. He's challenging the church not to remain silent in the most vulnerable time in the history of our existence. You and I are living in the most vulnerable days of the church's existence in our generation. There's never been a day like today. No other generation is forced in America, maybe around the world there has been, but no, no other generation in America is forcing to be faced with what we're facing right now. And, and nothing will change if the church stays quiet. Nothing will change if the church says, well, I'm just wanna, I just want to go and I just want to worship the Lord. I just, I just want to come to a beauty contest. I want people to see me. I want to see them. I want to look at their purse. I want to look at their shoes. I just want to wave an offering to the Lord. And then I just want to go back to my little world and just keep participating in what I'm doing. While the whole time the enemy is working, the whole time the enemy is scheming, and it is not time for the church to be passive. It is time for the church to say, I'm about to throw everything into this fight. It's not time. There was a call to rise. It's not time to remain silent. And I believe, I don't, I don't, have, I don't have everything, obviously, but I believe I've got enough, enough in me. I believe I've been around long enough to say a few things. I've been in the ministry now at this church, full-time pastor in this church, Karen and I, for 20 years. I believe there's enough in me to validate what I'm about to say. I believe there's something in me that says I have heard enough from God. 
to begin to challenge the people of God. And if you think I'm worried about how you feel about me, you at the wrong church, baby. I'm not really worried about what you think about me right now because at the end of the day, I don't stand before you. I stand before the Lord. You don't make me sweat. You don't make me tremble, but he does. And at the end of the day, I'd rather you walk out of here and be mad with me but be on time with God. And I believe there's a call. Oh, I'm about to get there. There's a call to pastors. There's a call to leaders. There's a call to churches. There's a call to parents and families to get involved and quit being silent with what's going on. There is an impending plot of the enemy to eradicate the very freedoms that you're enjoying right now. There is a plot of the enemy. If you don't think it's not coming to your house, you are living on the wrong planet. There is an enemy at war with the church right now. It's not a Republican thing. It's not a Democratic thing. It's good versus evil. And there is an enemy that's coming. And he is looking at a sleeping church in America who can't even throw a praise up in a city of freedom. If we, if we don't get involved, we're going to lose our children. If we don't get involved, we're going to lose the next generation to a godless society that continues to push its agenda in our face and they're not even trying to hide it. If we don't get involved, I'm trying to preach to you today. It ain't what you do on Sunday morning. It's how you handle business on Monday morning. It's how you handle business on Tuesday morning. I don't care if you are a homemaker, if you're a school teacher, if you're a lawyer, doctor, professor, whatever. When you get to your job, you need to be a reflection of Christ in the middle of the darkness. And you need to let the enemy know you can push on everybody around me, but you ain't pushing on me. We're going to lose it all. We're going to lose it. And I'm not a doomsday preacher. If y'all been following me for any length of time, you know I don't preach on doomsday messages. This is coming to the church as a warning. It's a warning that if we don't wake up, wake up. if we don't come out of the beauty contest, Amen. we're going to lose our religions, religion, our religious freedoms. We're going to, we're going to, re, we're going to lose our, our freedom of speech. We're going to lose our children to indoctrination centers. We're going to lose, we're going to lose the very foundations of what our government founded the whole land on. We're going to lose the Constitution will be no more because there is an agenda of the enemy to drive God out. It's not to drive the Republicans out. It's not to drive the Democrats out. It is to drive the voice of God out of a nation. It's the agenda. Of the enemy to annihilate the call of the church. It's not a beauty contest where we just go through the motions, never mixing our faith with the reality of what's going on. Notice the words of Mordecai to Esther. He said, Esther, God didn't put you in a beauty contest just so everybody could admire your beauty. He put you in a position so that he could elevate you to a position of authority so you could take your influence and begin to shape the culture around you and not be conformed to it. Not to be involved in the outward appearance of your own life. Not to remain silent 
on what is at stake. This is not a time for you just to be sitting and being pretty and quiet. Look at your neighbor and say, I know you're pretty, but you don't need to be quiet. <laughs> I know you're pretty, but you don't need to be quiet. You, you don't, you don't, I'm telling you, I'm telling you, this is a warning to the house. This is a warning to what God is saying over this nation. Notice in chapter 4, verse 4, we read it. When, when she heard that, that he had put on sackcloth and ashes, we just read it. The Bible says that she sent clothes to put on Mordecai to cover his sackcloth and ashes. But the Bible says he did not accept them. Esther sent some clothes to put on some new garments. In essence saying, you don't need to get all upset. Everything's going to be okay. Just keep coming and singing your little songs and keep coming to your little religious institutions and stay quiet. Just cover it up. Just let the church have a little bit of something, but let's just keep it covered up. Let's just let them come and get their little sermonette for a bunch of little Christianettes and everybody just be happy. I just, Esther was saying, Mordecai, you just need to be happy. Just going to cover this up. We're going to cover up your mourning. You don't, you don't need to be crying out. Nothing's going to happen. Nothing's going to take place. Just, I'm just going to cover you up and just change your clothes, Mordecai. Everything's going to be happy. We've got preachers that preaching people. Just come to church and we're going to teach you how to be happy. We're going to teach you how to enjoy your holidays. Preaching on the best you you can be. Five ways to be blessed and 35 ways to stay blessed. Just, just, we just want you to look pretty. We just want you to be nice. We just want you to be clean. We just want to cover up. Don't cry out for the city. It's going to be all right. That was the message that Esther, Queen Esther was pushing in on Mordecai. Ladies and gentlemen, we're living in perilous times. Families are falling apart. Marriages are unraveling. And children are being totally detached from God. The systems and the institutions that once held godly foundational meanings are now being overturned and being replaced with laws to protect the evil and then to unleash that evil while the church is just being covered up. That's what's going on. I, I know some of you thought, well, I thought I was going to come here and get happy today, but I feel like I'm being challenged. You're right. I come here to challenge your spiritual walk. I come here to challenge your worship with God. I came here to challenge your place in the body of Christ. For you're not here just to make money. You're not here just to go through the motions of life. You are here to be a witness of God in the earth where the enemy is coming to annihilate the things of God. Systems are being transformed into laws. And once they get into laws, it's like a Persian law. Once it's decreed, once it's a law, you can't overturn it. We're more concerned about how many friends we have on Facebook. We're more concerned about how many likes we get on our posts or how many people like our videos on social media. How many people are tracking with us and, and we look all cute. We get, we get the right angle. We get the right lighting. We get the right pose and we, we look all cute. This ain't a beauty contest. 
This is not a beauty contest. I'm trying to wake a generation up. If you don't get involved in the fight, we're going to lose our children. We're going to lose our grandchildren because the enemy plays for keeps. My concern is that the church feels like there's no threat. Well, we just know God's going to fix it. It may not fix it in your generation. That's what Mordecai said to Esther. He said, Esther, if you remain silent, deliverance will rise from another place, but you and your children will be blotted off the face of the earth. It will rise from somebody else. God will. God is sovereign. God's going to do what he wants to do, but I want him to do it in my generation. I want him to do it on my watch. We're waiting and we're watching our lawmakers shift laws and even lock us down while the church just stay in compromise. We went through a pandemic and nothing about not trying to take any the the depth and the pain of the pandemic, but 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 trying to shut the church down was an act against the law. How come they can break the laws but we can't? How, how come we let the devil make the laws and he gets to break the laws, but then when we try to do something, we get censored? You have to understand there's a plot, there's a plan, there's a scheme against your life. Culture is changing rapidly. Laws are being established in our day, in our day, to redefine marriages. Laws are being established right now. They're on the court steps of identifying what genderism is. Exploiting sin and trying to make us call it normal. (laughs) Praise the Lord. It must be right because it's tight. I can feel it. While the church just stays, and it's just in the beauty contest. I want I don't want to I don't want to say nothing vocally because I don't want to offend anybody. I don't want to say nothing because I don't want nobody to I don't want nobody to hear where I stand because I don't want them to be offended of my truth. So we stay locked up in sin of their lives. I don't want, I don't, I, I, this happens in churches all across America. Preachers are not grabbing the microphone and preaching the truth because they're afraid somebody's going to leave their building. They're afraid of nickels. They're afraid of noses. They're afraid of people are going to walk out and leave their building. While you got a whole generation going to hell, while you got children that are being raised and being indoctrinated into a system that's an anti-God system, and we won't say the truth, I say the devil is a lie. I believe God's got a remnant. I believe God has a people. I believe there are people that are going to rise in this generation and say, we will take the fight right back into the enemy's camp and I will lift up my voice I will lift up my praise I will be a witness on my job my friends will know it my family will know it and I refuse to water down the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ for the sake of somebody liking me it's a battle it's a fight and I get it I feel feel it in this house of all places I feel the tension in this house 
When this ought to be the most freeing message I ought to be able to preach in this house. You ought to be throwing chairs and babies at me right now. You ought to be saying, preach on, preacher. By God, we need something to shake us loose. The shaking that is going on, quit blaming it on the devil. God said, I will shake the heavens and I will shake the earth because he's trying to move the church out of complacency. He's trying to bring a glory back into the land. That's why the shaking is going on. Somebody has to rise in this generation and say, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation. Change your clothes. Don't stand for anything. Make everybody happy. Just stay pretty. Just stay nice. Just stay clean. Don't make any noise. Just let the generations around you perish. Let the nation be consumed with evil. It's all going to be okay. Just let a nation fall apart. Just let the principles of our nation fall apart. Somebody said, well, America ain't perfect. I, I would be the first to throw my hat in that ring. America is not perfect. But if you ever travel to any other nation in the world, you'll always thank God when you land back in America. It is not the most perfect nation in the world, but I'm telling you, it is the most blessed nation in the world. And America is not perfect. We, 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 we've got slavery as a stain on our clothes. We've got racism as a stain on our clothes. But what history are not telling our kids, we also got men that fought against family members to free people from slavery. Blood, fought blood just to free the power and the tyranny of slavery. That's in your history books. That's in the history of who we are. But we don't teach that. We just say America is a bad place because it's full of racism. We had men that fought brothers and cousins in a civil war to say slavery is wrong. But we're telling the young generation around us, well, the reason why we need socialism is because everybody needs to be equal. Everybody needs to be the same. Don't have capitalism. Don't, don't, don't get out and earn your living. Just sit at home and let somebody earn your living for you. Y'all not saying nothing in here. Oh, my Lord, I feel it's so tight in here. It's so tight. It's a wake-up call. We don't need to stay silent. When our cultures, and, and probably, probably what really just like, like pulled this out of me was we, we, we do Baccalaureate every year. We've done it for the last, since 2005 or six, whatever it was. We've been doing Baccalaureate right here. And I've preached the majority of them. And, 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 and every year I just watch it get a little further and further and further from God. I have watched the generations in the last 15, 16 years, whatever it's been, I've watched the generation sit right here in these middle rows from here 
all the way to the camera back there. And I have watched the, 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 the uninvolvement on their face, the, 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 the cone stole look on their faces because they cannot even compute what a God could be like that loved them. They've never heard that God really loved them. They've only heard how much America hates them, how much white people hate them, how much black people hate them. They've only heard through the indoctrination centers in which they have been raised. Then they go home to their families and they act like the devil and on throughout the week and then they come to church and they glorify God and they're kind of, there's a confused generation. I'm just trying to say, ladies and gentlemen, God is affording us the opportunity right here in the Glaze region to build something so powerful, something so awesome for the glory of God that people are attracted to the power. People are attracted to the goodness of God. People are attracted to the miracle working power of God. We refuse to be silent. Because it's not a beauty contest. (laughs) Look at your neighbor and say, it ain't a beauty contest. I'm going to preach this next week all over again. Several weeks ago, the Biden administration appointed a disinformation czar and board. Appointed them to determine what is acceptable and what is not concerning the things that you post or whatever we preach from the pulpits. Yeah. That's what they did. They pointed a czar, a disinformation czar, to say, you can't say this. And they're trying to say to the preachers, you can't say this. And they're trying to say, if you say this, we're going to ban you. Listen, I've been banned before. I don't care. I'm telling you, I don't care. I, I, don't, I cannot be threatened by what the enemy wants to do. We've been banned here in this church. Wait, what do you call that ban that they did on us? That shadow ban. We've been shadow banned for, for a, a year now. So they appointed this czar to say, well, we're going to ban information. It's not that they're going to ban false information. They're just going to ban the truth. And what they really hate, what, what they really hate, I'm telling you, what they really hate, it's not a white thing, it's not a black thing, it's not a Hispanic thing, it's not a Republican thing, it's not a Democrat thing. What they really hate is this book. This is what they hate. They hate the Word of God. This is what they're after. They're after the truth of the Word of God because it convicts them in their place of Less, less passion, whatever you want to call it. I don't even know how to say it. It convicts them in their sin, but they don't want to change their sin, so they just want to ban the truth so they don't feel the pressure of conviction. Esther, if you stay quiet, church, that's what she is. She's a modern-day church. If you stay quiet, we're going to lose what God has entrusted to us. I like what? Billy Graham, I, I like to watch old Billy Graham clips. I'm a, I love to watch him. I watch him all the time. And, and Corey gave me this information the other day. I didn't even know this. I never caught it. But in Billy Graham, in his sermons, he would say over and over and over again, and the Bible says. And Billy Graham will be preaching to multiplied thousands of people who were not Christians, who were not born again. A lot of them were there that were Christians, but the majority were not. 
And he would stand up and he would preach his message. And he wouldn't preach his opinion. He wouldn't preach his thoughts. He would say, and the Bible says. And the Bible says. And some people have done some research and they said over 70 references in every one of Billy Graham's sermons about what the Bible says. We got preachers today that won't even open up their Bible to preach. Because we want people to feel good. We want people to walk out of here feeling, oh, ain't I happy. No, God never called you to be happy. He called you to be holy. I'm trying to say, if the Bible says it, it don't matter what my opinion is. If the Bible says it, it don't matter what my opinion is of the subject anyhow. If the Bible says it, Pastor Corey was talking about the tithe a while ago. It don't matter about what my opinion is of the tithe. If the Bible says it, I don't have an opinion about it. That's what the Bible says. If the Bible says you don't need to be sleeping around, I don't get to have an opinion about that. If the Bible says you don't need to be getting drunk, I don't have an opinion about that. I don't have an opinion about gay marriages. I don't have an opinion about transgenderism. If the Bible says it's sin, if the Bible says it's wrong, then I don't get to voice my opinion. I don't have the luxury of telling you, well, this is what I think. This is what your Bible says. And if ever if every a generation in America needs to know something, they need to know, what does the Bible say? What does the Bible say about your children? What does the Bible say about your marriage? What does the Bible say about your giving? What does the Bible Bible say. Because if we can get back to the Bible, we'll eliminate the excuses. For all those non-Bible believing people, not nobody in this room, people that are listening to us, I'm sure. You have a right to live however you want to live. You can sleep with whoever you want to sleep with and you can get drunk and party however much you want to. You can post whatever you want to post. You just don't have a right to tell me I can't do it. Check it on the mic, one, two. This verse got me right here. This will be in verse number 11 of our text. I think it will be on the screen. Any man or woman who comes to the king who's not been summoned to the king, the king has but one law. And that they would be put to death. It was Persian law. Nobody could reverse it. And then you get down in verse number 13. And this is Mordecai's response to Esther. In the context of this is Persia law. Mordecai puts this response back to Esther. And he says, well, Esther, you need to test that law. You need to test that law. Because if you remain silent. You can miss the very reason why God elevated you for this purpose. If you remain silent, you could miss the very reason why God gave you the privilege to live in the land that you live in. You got to test that law. You got to test that law because, Esther, this ain't just about your little beauty parlor. This is not about your little beauty pageant. This is about a nation that's about to be annihilated. You got to test that law. Come on, look at somebody next to you and tell them you got to test that law. You got to test that law. When they put men in women's sports, we should test that law. Oh my God. When they're saying men can walk into a women's bathroom, 
We should test that law. When they say it's a fundamental right for a woman to abort the baby in her body, we ought to test that law. We ought to test it. You say, well, women say, well, you know, it's, it's, it's my body, my choice. Listen, it's your body, but that baby in your body is not your body. That baby in your body is not your body. We ought to test that law. Listen, you can say, you can, you, you can, you can excuse it however you want to, but at the end of the day, it is, it is murder. It is murder at its core. And if you look at all the people that are protesting, it's not that because they, they just want to do something. There is an evil agenda to annihilate a generation. Ah, you got to test that law. When our president can stand up and say the right to abort babies, up until birth comes from being a child of a child of God. You trying to pervert the gospel? We ought to test that law. Don't think I'm just picking on the president because there's some jacked up Republicans too. They won't test nothing. They just go with the flow because there's money in their pockets. God doesn't destroy life. God creates life. Test that law. When this current administration can say eight-year-olds can choose sexual orientation and have whatever surgery they need to have to get there, we ought to test that law. We ought to test it. We ought to test it. Come on, Esther. Come on, church. Lift your voice. Don't be silent. When you have millions of people Please don't get angry at me. I'm just preaching now. When you got millions of people crossing our borders, and not all of them, but some of them are bringing drugs and gangs and criminals, and then we just ship them off to other cities and counties and regions. It's like everybody on the planet has to be vaccinated, but people crossing the borders don't have to be vaccinated. So the safest place to go if you don't want to get COVID is go to the border. Picking on a, there, there's families that, that should be coming over. Nobody, nobody has a problem with everybody trying to better themselves, and I'm all for that. But what are you going to say to the millions of people who came across right? Who came across right and did it right? We ought to test that law. Fifty people are on radar now with the government that are known terrorists that came across the border, and they're watching them right now on radar. And listen, it don't mean nothing to you until they blow up your kid. It won't mean nothing to you until they blow up your school. But they're in our nation right now because nobody wants to test the law because we're just in the beauty contest. We just want everybody to like us. Oh, my Lord. Got to test the laws when there's a war going on in our educational system. And I thank God there's some born-again Spirit-filled teachers in this house. And I thank God for every born-again, spirit-filled teacher in our land that will put the hammer down. Thank God for that. But don't think it's not coming to your neighborhood. Don't think it's not coming to your home. You better test that law. You have to test it. We were silent in the 60s and the 70s when they said we came from a monkey. Nobody tested the law. Now we got the spirit of evolution. I guess we'll just hang from a tree. Not it's so tight in here. Some of y'all won't even look at me now. You just got your head down. 
It's like you're like you sent four more minutes and he's got to wind it up. That's what you're thinking right now. Test it. Don't push on me, brother. Jesus said in Matthew 10, 34, it says, Do not think that I came into the world to bring peace, but I came to bring a sword. The peace is coming, but it's not here yet. In other words, Jesus was saying, if you don't associate with truth, because I am truth, and I'm going to introduce you to a whole lot of problems because you associate with truth. That's what he meant. I'm bringing the sword. I'm bringing the sword. And when you associate with me, you better know that that sword is going to divide and it's going to cut. Because truth is coming. Truth is coming. And it's going to come into every area of your relationships. That's because he goes on to say mothers will be against daughters, daughters against mothers, fathers against their sons. He's not talking about breaking up the family. He's talking about when people don't stand for truth, people begin to make decisions based on current culture. And what you've got to do is you don't base decisions on culture. You base decisions on this is what the Bible says. This is what your word says. And we don't need casual Christians in a war that's going on in the midst of Christianity. We need people that understand this is my Bible and I'm going to live by the word of God. Mm. The cross, because he went on to say, he who does not take up his cross in that same chapter, in that same context, he said, he who does not take up his cross and follow me, this is Jesus' words, you're not worthy of me what Jesus said. In other words, the cross is not just good for salvation. The cross is something that you carry every day of your life. You bear the marks of dying to yourself so that the Christ in you may rise. Paul said in Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ, yet it's no longer I who lives, but it's Christ who lives in me. And the life that I live now, I live by the faith in the Son of God. I've been crucified, so I carry my cross so I don't give people my opinions. I carry my cross so I don't live under the burden of culture. I live a sacrificed life. I live a life of dying. I heard a preacher say, maybe it's bishop years ago, so you can't hurt a dead man. The reason why you feel it is because you still got some things inside of you that's alive. That need to be crucified. Praise the Lord. So witness. Let me, let me finish right here. Let me just finish right here. Y'all got about five minutes. Is that all right? I know y'all shaking your head. No, let's get out of here. I got it. I got it. I won't finish it anyway. On December the 7th, 1941, when Japan bombed Pearl Harbor, America at that point was thrusted into World War II. Hitler was on the rise, marching across Europe, destroying and killing everything in his path, exterminating the Jews. Come on, Haman. Got a plot to kill the Jews. I got a plot to kill God's covenant people. I got a plot to kill the people of promise. Hitler was coming across Europe, massacring people, with the intent to rule the entire known world. And during that time, President Franklin Delano Roosevelt, he called together these five business titans of their day, these five business gurus. He, he, he called them into a meeting. 
he called these men to meet with him. And, and one of the men was Walter Chrysler. Maybe you guys can throw that picture up there. Walter Chrysler, who was the founder of the Chrysler Corporation. He called in William Boeing, who was the founder of the Boeing Company and Corporation, who has the largest aerospace manufacturer in the world. He called in J.P. Morgan Jr., who is the, obviously the founder of the president of J.P. Morgan and Company. He called in Pierre DuPont, who now is the, 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 the uh, or who was the president at that time of General Motors. Then he called in Henry Ford, who was the founder of the Ford Motor Company. It'd be like today if a president were to call in Mark Zuckerberg of Facebook. Or maybe now if he can get it to go through Elon Musk of Twitter. Or maybe Jeff Bezos of Amazon. Or maybe like a Bill Gates, founder of Microsoft Inventions. It'd be the equivalent of calling in the most wealthiest men in America to come in to meet with him. This is probably what you don't know, but this is in your history. FDR had just won the election as the president of the United States of America, and he won the election mainly by slandering those five guys because he blamed the stock market crash and the Great Depression on those five guys. He said the reason why America is in the shape that it's in and the reason why we've been in a stock market crash in the 20s the reason why there's this great depression is because you are, you, you, you are barren robbers. That's what he said to these five. That's how he won the election. He got America to turn against those guys. Because he blamed them, and partly true, for what was going on economically. He blamed them for what was happening in our nation. But now, somebody shout now. Now, now they're in a war. And he calls them in, and he begins to instruct them. He said, gentlemen, we've been at odds on this campaign trail. I've been after you, and you've been after me. But now America has been thrusted into a war. We have been shoved into a war that we did not volunteer to be a part of. But the enemy struck first. You're going to catch me in a minute. And, and, and now we have to come together because there's a real challenge because this threat is not going to stay in Japan. This threat is not going to stay in Europe. It's coming after your house. It's coming after your business. This threat is coming after your children. That's, that, that was his message. He said this threat is bigger than just politics. He says, and if you don't get engaged into this fight, your name will be blotted off the face of the earth and your wealth and your prosperity will be nothing and your children will never be remembered for anything. Come on, Esther. If you don't get into this fight, come on, church. If you don't get into this viable threat, your family into the services of God will cease to exist. Oh, my Lord. He said to them, I need us now 
more than ever to unite together. We need to pull our energy and our resources and our talents, and we need to come together. We don't need to be independent, and we don't, be, we don't need to be disunified. We need to be together because this thing is bigger than a Republican Party. It's bigger than a Democratic Party. Come on, it's bigger than the Methodists. It's bigger than the Baptist. It's bigger than the Presbyterian. It's bigger than the Church of God or the Assemblies of God. This thing is big, and it's a threat that's coming to the church. And we have to pull together. And he began to release his message over those five titans and those barons of, of wealth and income. The fight was coming to their county. The fight was coming to their region. We can't be like it, Jesus said in the days of Noah where everybody's just eating and drinking and getting married and having fellowship and having a, a, a good time because the fight is on us. And we need to be aware of what's going on. And I'm going to close with this right here. When FDR said we have to mobilize and come together, this is a powerful picture. It's a powerful message of what the church can do. When these men came together, they turned their factories into war machines. How many know that our battle now is not against flesh and blood? We need to be a war machine. We, mean, we need to be a war machine in prayer. Shame on you if we got prayer here on Tuesday night and you sitting at the house watching TV. Too complacent. But then you want to cry out to God when you need a miracle. We need to be a war machine. I can't find no help in here. Man, y'all are so quiet today. Maybe it's the word. Maybe that's what it is. But he said we got to turn this thing into a, a war machine. we got to turn all your factories, all your money-making businesses into a war machine, something for the, for the cause of our nation. And history says these, these titans turn their factories into these building blocks, and they begin to make grenades and rifles and bullets and tanks and artillery. And not only that, 14 million women joined the fight as if to say back to Hitler, you can't have my baby. As if to say back to Hitler, you can't have my nation. You can't have the indoctrination of a swastik put on my children's arm. 14 million women rose up and said, we'll get into the factories while we send our men off to war. While our men are fighting on foreign soil, we'll make sure that we're in the factory and we're, we're building guns and we're building bombs and we're building tanks and we're building artillery because we're going to put our hand to the plow because we're not going to let our nation turn into something that, they, that God had never intended it to be. And can I just tell you, ladies and gentlemen, what a picture of the church. What a picture of the church because God is trying to enlist everybody we need our children's church we need our workers in the nursery we need our women we need our men we need our teenagers shame on you teenagers if you don't get into the fight shame on you grandpa if you don't get into the fight shame on you husband if you just sit back and send your women off and you just say well I hope it works out no we need a generation come on Esther we need a church that will rise come on get up on your feet I'll quit just get up on your feet uh, let me show you. This will be on the screen. Guys in the back, just work, work, work with me. This is an article that came out. This is, all, this is all in history. You guys can come on to the worship. We're going to quit. Ford Motor Company, an article came out said, Ford Motor Co Company has performed something like a miracle in 24 hours a day. This will be on the screen. 
the average Ford car had some 15,000 parts in that day. The Ford Motor Company began to make B-24 Liberator long-range bombers that had 1,550,000 parts. And one came off the assembly line every 63 minutes. Because somebody felt the urgency of what was at stake. Somebody said, this ain't a beauty contest. Women rolled up their sleeves and got muddy, greasy, and dirty. Grandpas rolled up their sleeves and got muddy, greasy, and dirty. Our 20-year-olds were on the front line facing Hitler and facing Japan and say, we can't just let our nation go to hell in a handbasket. At the peak of 1944, the Willow Rand plant, which is owned by the Ford Motor Company, they were producing 650 B-24 bombers a month. I can't even get plans for a building in three months. Nobody feels the urgency. Seven battleships were being produced every single day. The, the Mattituck Manufacturing Company switched from making upholstery nails, beauty contest, to cartridge clips for the Springfield rifle. And soon they were turning out three million clips a week for the boys on the front line. The Chase Brass and Copper Company made more than 50 million cartridge cases and mortar shells, more than a billion small caliber rifle bullets to make sure that the men on the front line had some ammo. American industry provided almost two-thirds of, our, of our, ally, our, our allied military equipment produced in four years of the World War II, 297,000 aircraft, 193,000 artillery pieces, 86,000 tanks, and 2 million army trucks in four years. And they supplied the nations of the world to stay in the fight. The urgency is it's not a beauty contest. Your children are at stake, Daddy. Your children are at stake, Mama. You can just go through the motions and just say, well, that's just church. We're just going to have 15 or 20 minutes, maybe in our case, 45 minutes of worship. I don't have to participate because everything's going to be all right. No, it ain't, Esther. No, it ain't. You better be weeping. You better be crying. You better be crying out for the things of God. You need to be found in prayer. You need to be found in discipleship. You need to be found moving your family closer to the things of God. Because this is what Jesus said. Jesus said, you, you will see it in Matthew 24. He said, don't think that this is all going to go away. He said, there's going to be wars and there's going to be rumors of wars. There's going to be earthquakes and there's going to be pestilence. Don't think it's going to go away. He said, it's going to come with more intensity. If you think we are safe because of a pandemic not be almost over. You have lost your mind because something worse is coming down the pike and we need a nation of believers that can rise and say we are in it to win it. It's what we need. It's what we need. So my, my call, and I know I'm a little late today and I know it's tight, but I'm just telling you, there's an urgency in my spirit and I wouldn't be a true pastor if I didn't tell you what I felt God was saying. I'm just, I'm burning in my heart because I'm looking at People being lethargic. I look at people saying, well, I just come to church when I feel like it. I come to church when I can. It's just you got a lethargic attitude. Well, uh, the whole time, the enemy is coming after your children. 
And I want to tell you something. You, you think it's hard. You think it's hard now. You put a child through life without ever having any kind of doctrinal foundation of Jesus Christ and watch the disparity on their life. This ain't a time to play games and this ain't a time to pick and choose when you want to come to church and when you don't want to come to church. Lou Engle said this, and I'll close right here. He said, one of the most powerful quotes I've had in the last five years. He said, there are moments in history when a door for massive change opens and great revolutions, either good or evil, spring up in the vacuum created by these openings. In such divine moments, key men, key women, and entire generations risk everything to become the hinge of history, the pivot point that determines which way that door will swing. God's looking for some heroes today. God's looking for some heroes today. God's looking for some men. He's looking for some women. He's looking for some teenagers and young adults. He's looking for some grandpas. He's looking for some grandmas. He's looking for somebody that says, I'm about to get engaged in this fight. I'm going to fight for something. It don't matter if your children are grown and gone. You need to stand in the gap for them. You need to be fighting, and you need to be in warfare for them. Tuesday night is not optional. If I'm not working, I'm going to be on my face. I'm going to be crying out for God to move in my nation. This is more important than anything else we do right now because everything is at stake. Come on, lift your hands. We're going to quit right here. Come on, just make a surrendered prayer. Come on, just open up your heart and just say, God, include me in. Sign me up. Sign me up. Sign me up. Sign me up. Enlist me. Come on, Esther. Come on, Esther. Come on, church. Cry out. I want God to use me. I want God in my family. I want God in my children. I want Him in my neighborhood. I want Him on my job. I want Him in my business. Come on, lift your voice. Come on, 30 seconds. Just 30 seconds of everything you got. Just get hot. Come on, single parent. Come on, teenager. You need him more than anybody. Come on, young person. I can't afford to be lukewarm. I can't afford to be passive. I got little feet coming behind me. I got little eyes that are watching me. I can't afford to disconnect. I gotta press. I gotta press. I gotta press. I'm pressing. Oh God, I'm pressing. I'm gonna be the hinge of history for my family. It's gonna be a mark in my history calendar. This was the day that I turned the page. This was the day that I took a stand. This was the day 
that I said like Esther, if I die, I die, but I'm not going to let it die on my watch. If I die, I die. But my children are worth it. My family is worth it. My home is worth it. My marriage is worth it. Everything I am. Everything I am. I'm getting out of the beauty contest. I don't care what the king says. I don't care what the government has to say. I don't care what the law is. I'm coming out of the beauty contest. I'm coming out of the beauty contest. I want to see my nation rise. I want to see the gospel of Jesus Christ preached. I just feel it. 14 million women got engaged in the fight. We need the women. We need the women. 14 women rolled up their sleeves and said, Hitler, you ain't having my baby. 14 million women rolled up their sleeves and said, you're not coming into my nation. I'll build bombs 24 hours a day, seven days a week. I'm going to stand on my watch. I'm going to cry out. I'm going to do what I got to do. You're not coming in here without a fight. Oh, God. Hey, come on, I feel something burning. I feel something burning in the spirit today. There's something burning in our heart, in our souls today. It's burning to the core of our being. Stir it up. Stir it up. The fight is coming to your house. The fight is coming to your address. Don't be lethargic. Don't be complacent. Don't stay in a beauty contest. Fight, fight, fight. person, every teenager will hear the cry of the hour. Jesus said it will be just like it was in the days of Noah. Nobody really cared. Nobody really having any passion for the impending judgment that's coming. We need a people 
We need the sons of Issachar who can discern the times, the seasons, and know what to do. God, I raise my hand. Let me be that people. God, let me be that Esther that says, if I die, I die. But I'm going to give it everything I got. The generations around me are worth it. My marriage is worth it. My family is worth it. My loved ones are worth it. So, Father, that's our prayer today. Just count me in. Come on, would you just, if you really mean it, just put your hand over your heart and say, just count me in. Come on, just say, just count me in. Come on, just, no, really, I mean, just like, say it like you mean it, like, like you're about to enlist in something that you can't have no control over until you get involved in the battle. Just say, count me in. I'm getting in. I'm getting in. I, I am getting in this thing. I'm getting in it. I'm getting in it. My prayer life, my worship life, my church life, my discipleship life, I'm getting in it. getting in it. I am getting in it. And I'm getting in it to win it. Just like in 1942, 43, and 44 when our, when our American boys went overseas and our women went to the factories and they went over there to win it. They went over there to win it. And we lost a lot of good men. We lost a lot of good women, but they went over there to win it because they recognized something was at stake that was greater than just me having my little beauty contest. Something was at stake, and had they not gone, we wouldn't be here right now. You'd be speaking German right now. Had they not gone. What a picture. What a picture. If we don't go, if we don't go, your children will be lost in eternity without God. The generations coming behind us will be lost in eternity without God. And that may not be a big deal to you, but that's a big deal to me. Because eternity burns forever. It burns forever. And the world is not getting safer. The world is coming more unglued because the closer we get to the appearing of His coming, the worse things are going to get. But the church has to rise in the middle of it. We have to be the stabilizing force for those that are around us have something to, to look at, something they can grab hold of. Because it's coming. It's coming. The fight is coming. And we need to be an Esther. And say, maybe I have come into the kingdom for such a time as this. Maybe I have been born for this moment right now. I'm born for this moment. With every head bowed, every eye closed, we're going to go. If you need prayer for anything today, I want to dismiss the church in just a moment. Our altar team and staff, everybody's going to be up here. If you need prayer, we want to pray for you. Please don't walk out of here if you need something in agreement too. If you've got sickness in your body, if you're going through some sort of trauma, trial, whatever, let us touch and agree with you. That's what Jesus said we had to do. We had to touch and agree so heaven could manifest. We want to pray with you. But maybe you're in this room today and you don't know Jesus Christ. 
as your personal Lord and Savior. Maybe you did it one time, but you just feel like, man, I've been in a backslidden condition, but today I feel like, I feel like I don't want to miss it. I got to get it right. I got to fix it in my heart today. I got to make it right in my heart today. I got to get it right. I got to make Jesus the Lord over my life. It's, it's nothing hard. It's just about a 30-second prayer, and, and you're in. You're in. You're in. Two types of people in this congregation today, those that are born again and those that are lost, those who have a relationship with Jesus and those who do not. There's no room in the middle. There's no gray area in Jesus. Either you serve him or you don't. Either you live for him or you don't. Maybe you're in this room today and you say, you know what, preacher? I got to get it right. I'm not asking you to join this church or be a part of this fellowship. But you're just saying, I got to get it right today. And you want somebody to pray with you. If that's you, just raise your hand right where you are. We want to pray for you. Just lift your hands all over this room. I'm just checking. I just want to make sure. Don't miss nobody today because I don't know everybody. I see a hand over here. God bless you. I see some hands right there. God bless you. Thank you for being honest today. I see those hands. Thank you. Just a couple hands went up over here, back here, over here. Just going to make that confession today. Just going to make it today. We're going to make it right. 30 seconds and we're all going to walk out of here. In the name of Jesus. Come on, those that are you raised your hands, the church is going to clap for you while you come down here. Give me 30 seconds to pray for you. Come on. Just step out of your seat and come on down here. Come on. It's all right. Come on. He's over here. Somebody right here. Christy. There we go. Right there. Go on. Yes. Come on. Come on, church. Can we just praise God for them? They just, they just want to make it right. That's it. That's it. That's it. Come on. Come on, sweetheart. That's it. That's it. That's it. That's it. Come on. There we go. Come on, brother. That's it. Thank you, man. Thank you. Thank you. I, I want to do this. I, I know we got to go, and I know the hour's late, but all over the world when we raise our hands, it's just a sign of surrender. And all I'm going to ask you to do today is just give your heart to Jesus. That's all I'm asking you to do. And when you raise your hand, it's just like you're saying, Lord, I give you my life. The Bible says it this way in Romans chapter 10, that if we'll confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, if we'll believe in our heart and confess with our mouth that he's Lord, he'll save us. He'll save us. So I'm going to ask you to do something. You're not even going to pray by yourself. The whole church, including me, we're going to pray together because we all need this prayer. But today is the beginning of the rest of your life. Today is the beginning. You're coming back to Jesus or you're accepting Jesus for the first time, but we're moving forward. Would you do me a favor? Would you raise your hands as a surrender? And I want you to pray this prayer with me. I want you to repeat it with me. I want you to say it out loud because you've got to confess with your mouth, believe in your heart. The whole church is going to pray at the same time. Pray this prayer. Father, today, I come to you just like I am. And I'm asking you today to save me. Forgive me of my sins and put me on the right track. And from this day forward, I dedicate my life to you. I turn my back on sin and I turn towards grace. I turn towards you and I'm asking you today to save me, forgive me, and to heal me of my past. And I thank you right now. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. And amen. And that's it.
Praise right there. Amen. It's what we do. Every life counts. Every life counts. I don't know about you, but I'm in it to win it. I've signed up. I'm going after it. I'm going after God be the example. Amen. Father, I speak over your people today. God, give them rest for the rest of the afternoon. Let them enjoy their time. Empower their week as they step off into the workforce tomorrow morning. Empower their week. Give them favor. Give them entrance. Give them influence. Let everything that their hands touch cause it to be blessed. Let it prosper. Thank you for an army today. Thank you for a church that says we refuse to be silent. We refuse to be quiet. We give you praise in Jesus' name. And everybody together said amen. Amen. Come on, love on somebody real good. If you see those folks that just got saved, make sure you say hello to them. Don't be so quick to get out. Love on them real good. God bless you. We'll see you on Tuesday night.